0: hello everyone welcome to school for startups radio we don't have time for the normal intro because we are that We have two fantastic guests today, two women, and I'm excited to share the entire interviews. And so we need to get started. First up, we have Tanya Luna. She has a new book out called Lead Together, and then we'll be speaking with Janine Capozzi. Let's get started. Here we go. I am very excited to welcome back to the show Tanya Luna. She was with us about six months ago discussing her previous book, but being incredibly productive. She has a new book out already. And so I'm excited to talk about it today. It is called The. Oh, I have on the wrong page. I have all of her books pulled up now. Lead Together, <laughs> Stop Squirreling Away Power, and Build a Better Team. Tanya has a really impressive background. She has been involved in psychology research and writing. She is very active in leadership development, has a couple companies, one called Life Labs Learning, which is a leadership development resource. And another called Scarlet Spark, a nonprofit that helps take care of animals and as an, a dog lover myself, uh, that is something <laughs> sorely needed. She is also a TED speaker and lives with pigs, goats, roosters, dogs, and cats, and the love of her life. Tanya, welcome. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. I, sound, I feel kind of exhausted after that introduction. I sound uh, busier than I, than I aim to be, but thank you for all that.
0: <laughs> so who is the love of your life? Is it a pig, a goat, a cat, a dog, or a human?
1: It is my human husband. Ah. It is my human husband. Yes. Well, <laughs> Although they're I'm all glad loved that he my made life. It on
0: the list.
1: <laughs> yes, he's in there. He's in there.
0: All right. So, congratulations on the book. Your career seems exhausting. It seems like you're doing a lot. How do you have time for a husband, much less a goat?
1: <laughs> Nine goats, actually. Oh, my. Well, I, well, so I'll pivot right into talking about the book to answer your question the book, as I mentioned, as you mentioned, is called Lead Together. One of the ways I'm able to get a lot done is I don't do it all by myself. So, you know, I I learned, I don't know, somewhere probably too late in my career that trying to be a control freak, trying to have power over all the results, all of the outcomes is exhausting. It's going to burn me out and it's going to limit other people's growth and creativity. And so, the new book is very much grounded in psychology, but also my own experience learning to share that power so that ultimately we can achieve more together and I can hang out with my goats and husband.
0: All right. So how do we learn to do that when everyone around me just keeps making stupid mistakes?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I think the, the first thing is to stop focusing on the stupid mistake and Kind of look up to the person who's making it. So often as leaders, we focus on what is the outcome of the work and we forget about focusing on the individual. How can I invest in that person's capacity to get things done increasingly, increasingly better? One of the things that I write about in the book is this concept of cultivating rather than collecting talent. How do I make sure I'm not just trying to find these perfect people that probably don't exist? and I'm regularly cultivating people's capacity to get things done. So that's part of it is how do I make this person better or help them become even better at getting these things done instead of throwing up my hands and saying forget it, I just have to do everything myself. And then the other piece that I write about in the book is this concept of relying on context not control. Context not control. So often that mistake is a result of us just having different expectations, having different, you know, backstory and and history around whatever this task is. So if I shine a light on, here's what my expectations are, here's the goal, here's what we're looking to achieve. And at the same time, I'm investing and in helping this person get better. All of a sudden, those mistakes start becoming either fewer and fewer, or those mistakes that I thought were mistakes are actually different ways of achieving something, sometimes, often even better than I would have done to myself.
0: All right, a lot to unpack there. Let's start off with investing and cultivating versus collecting. I'm not going to invest in you or cultivate you because the chances are 50 50 you're going to quit three months from now. Um, Yeah. Why invest (laughs) in your employees anymore when they're no longer uh, willing to abide by the deal? I'll give you two years. Yeah, and I'll invest in you. And then they quit three months later after they've promised to give me two years. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I think that's a really common challenge. One of the best answers that I've heard to it came from a former client of mine who said, imagine if you don't invest in them and they stay. That's even a more chilling thought. But, you know, there, there's a few a few answers there. Of course, one is that if you invest in them, they're actually more likely to stay. We know from research, this has been going on for Over 15 years now, at least, that I've been familiar with the research, and it's the same every year. One of the biggest predictors of whether people stay in their role is whether they feel like they're learning and growing. So we have to break that vicious cycle of, I won't invest in you because you might leave. Well, one of us has to make a shift here. (laughs) And ideally, it starts with those of us who have some power to do it. So I start investing in folks, and they go, Wow, I want to stick around and see where this goes. I feel like I'm learning. I feel like I'm growing. That's part of it. And then the other part is truly, you know, it's not just about investing in the person. It's about investing in your own organization. You know, my last company, Life Labs Learning, I I had the privilege of growing it from two people to 150 people before I left. And the only way I could have done that was by making sure that all the people around me were constantly, constantly becoming stronger, more capable. Otherwise, sure, you know, people could, I could just worry about people leaving, but then I'm just sitting here alone doing everything myself.
0: What do you mean by context, not control?
1: Mm. Yeah. So for example, many of us, when we delegate a task, we'll say, get this thing done in this way. Okay, bye. (laughs) And then we're disappointed because it's not done the way we want it to. Instead, as an example, one of the ways to give context is to say, well, here's why this thing is important. Um, Here's the, not here's just what I want to get done, but here's the result that I'm looking to achieve. That's one example when it comes to delegation. But there's so many other places, especially when you're running an organization, that context is so critical. So for example, um, when I'm making a decision, instead of saying, here's what we're going to do, ideally I'm saying, and here's why I came to that decision. Or let's solve this problem. And here's the result that I'm hoping we can achieve. It's kind of the because. It's the behind the scenes of my thinking. If people all share that, insight that that context then they're able to make really good decisions together without me having to tell everyone what that decision should be so if we have shared context all of a sudden i don't have to make all the decisions people have the the knowledge that will inform really good independent decision making and that way i can do what i'm best at and they could do what they're best at
0: okay and
1: when you don't sound convinced
0: i'm sorry what was that
1: (laughs) I said, you don't sound convinced.
0: Well, I'm wondering when you draw the line because, you know, I'm sitting here thinking back to my personal situations and (sighs) there are a lot of times, for example, I had a business that was in trouble and. facing bankruptcy and such. And we were trying to raise money to keep the business afloat. And we were trying to be as honest and open with everybody as possible because it meant whether they would get paid this week or not. Mm -hmm. And eventually we sort of had to stop because people who weren't involved in the process were getting emotionally invested to the point where they were crying if one call went bad. Well, when Mm -hmm. you're raising money, 99% of the calls are going to be bad. You know, that's just the definition of raising money. And so to get upset when one call goes bad, that person's not equipped to be in the loop because you can't get upset when one boy or girl says, no, they don't want to go out with you, you know, that's not a reasonable standard.
1: Well, I love that you're using the word equipped there because again, it's do they have the history and the knowledge that you have that one rejection isn't a big deal Uh, in the book, which again, lead together. I'm glad that you shared that example. I actually decided to write this book in the form of a story. Um, Unlike your story, it's actually a story of a squirrel battling a forest recession. So it's very much written in this kind of playful, adventurer (laughs) grounded in psychology, again, with lots of practical tools, but those kinds of stories are what research show we learn best from. And so your version of bankruptcy in this case is Sam Squirrel. The main character is his forest recession. And in his case, yeah, it's the same exact situation where it's sort of, well, just how much should I share? If I share too much, everyone will freak out and then that'll be completely um, counterproductive because then the emotions will take over. And and uh, on the one hand, you're right. Transparency without context can actually be really damaging. That's what a lot of leaders get wrong or, or get half right, where they go, well, I'm just going to tell everyone the truth and let everyone in all the information. And then everyone freaks out and they go, forget it. I'm not doing that again. But going back to the word you used, equipped, it's so different if you say, look, we're about to share some information. It's going to be hard to take in, but let's, let's walk through together what decision criteria or what criteria in general we're using to evaluate how bad the situation is or how good the situation is it, it's hard it takes education like 2020 my business my last business was really really impacted by the pandemic and we were i was checking the bank account constantly i was just, i would like wake up in the middle of the night and refreshing my chase app just to see if clients finally paid us and it was really tempting to just kind of hide that from everyone on the other hand, you know, we were making big decisions because of our cash flow, um, and so what we realized was that it wasn't enough to just say, "Here's how much money we have," because yes, then people would panic. What we needed to do was actually say let's let's walk through what the The logistics are of operating this business. Let's talk about, you know, how many invoices have we sent? What's the um, expected, you know, payment rate of those invoices, that kind of thing. So there's quite a bit of educating that has to happen, which sounds like a pain when you have so many other things to deal with. But then what you have as a result of that is a group of adults who are informed and mature enough to be able to be a partner with you and coming up with solutions and really pushing in the right direction alongside you.
0: The subtitle stop squirreling away power. What does that mean? Uh, I, (laughs) when I squirrel something away, I, I put those nuts away for the winter perhaps. Uh, Right. How am I squirreling away my power? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it's a, it's a pun because again, the characters are squirrels. Um, but what I often see with leaders, especially when it's leaders of our own startups, our own organizations, it's very tempting to just say, I'm going to make the decisions, I'm going to set the vision, I'm going to set the policies and the rules. And in that way, again, we're, we're kind of hoarding <laughs> authority, we're hoarding information, um, we're hoarding even skills. Like sometimes even with the best intentions, like this is, this is a weakness of mine that I, I keep trying to get better at is even with the best intentions, I'll take over all the most stressful information or tasks or responsibilities. And it seems like I'm being generous and compassionate. But actually what I've learned over the years is when I do that, I, I squirrel away the, the power, the capacity to get things done because power is decision-making rights, but it's also just generally capacity to get things done. So I'm keeping all the stressful things to myself I'm preventing other people from learning and growing and becoming more capable. Um, One of the things that I really dive into in the book is the difference between this paradigm of power over versus power with. Power over is how most of us think about power. It's power as a means of control. I have authority and I'm gonna get other people to do what I want them to do. Some people do it kindly, some people do it in a rough way, but it's still power over. Power with is about going, what power do I have? What knowledge do I have? What relationships do I have? What context and authority do I have? Now, how can I use that to consistently and deliberately grow the power of my team? And when the power of my team grows, my own power starts to grow. And then our collective capacity to get things done increases. So for example, instead of me being the only one who's good at a particular skill, I deliberately go, how can I pass the skill on to others? And all of a sudden, now we're able to achieve so much more than I could have having that skill alone. Or I'm the only one with the authority to make a decision. Well, great. It seems efficient, but then I have to spend all this time trying to convince people to go along with the decision. So one of the things I write about in We in Together is this concept of getting build-in versus buy-in. So yes, I could keep all the power to myself to just come up with a new policy or you know come up with our business strategy. But then I have to sell it to people. And a bunch of those people, as you mentioned, aren't going to be on board, or they're going to quit, or they're just not going to be particularly engaged because they had nothing to do with it. They don't fully understand it. On the other hand, if I share that power and I say, hey, let's co-create this strategy, or let's come up with this decision together, it doesn't have to be by consensus. Um, I could talk about different collaborative methods of decision-making, if you'd like. But if we make this decision together, if we co-create this, if I get that build-in All of a sudden, the decision is probably better. People are bought into it because what research and psychology shows us is that when we are part of making something, we're more committed to it. We care more about it. Uh, And then ultimately, again, less work for me as a leader because now we're sharing the responsibility of building this thing.
0: It's the Japanese ringi, R-I-N-G-I, the idea of you get everyone's buy-in before you actually propose something. And then when you propose Mm -hmm. it, everyone's already bought in and they feel personally invested because you go to each person involved and say, here's what I'm thinking of doing. Are you interested in helping? How can we help? And then you build the team slowly and then make the announcement.
1: Yes, that's such a great point. And and I think a really important piece there is that it's not just that you're getting buy-in early on, but you really are getting people to tweak, iterate, you know, change that idea. So by the time it gets to, you know, the final decision maker, if that's not that group, then it's actually not just that people agreed to it. People's fingerprints are on it, right? Like people actually improved the idea so that it could be something that you can execute on very quickly.
0: All right. uh, Another story comes to mind. I was running my business and had been doing so for four or five years. And at this point we were... I don't know, 10 million or something annually. And I hired my brother right out Uh-oh. of graduate school. You know, so he had his fresh MBA. The ink was still wet on it. And he came in and had 500 suggestions on how to fix my business. It didn't need fixing, it was just fine. Thank you very much. How do we handle yes. this situation? You know, and he was making some good suggestions, but most of them we had tried before and it didn't, that didn't work, you know, and we were at our model, you know, not randomly, but on purpose, we were where we wanted to be. Yes.
1: Yes. Um, first of all, I can empathize. In one of my last companies, my sister and I were co-founders and technically ended up firing her. Um, it was great for both of us. It was very amicable, but, Whew, it's hard, hard to work with family. Um, yeah, so uh, oftentimes when I talk about the concepts and lead together, people assume I mean everyone should be involved in everything. All decisions are made together. You know, enough, you know, nothing. No one owns anything, and, and that's really not the case. I, I think in the case with your brother or any anyone in that situation, one thing that we could be deliberate about is saying, "Here's where we do need feedback. Here's where we don't," um, or Here's the context. Here's the history of what we've tried and what we haven't tried. Um, so context is part of it. And then the other part of it is just being really clear on, you know, where, does input, where is input valuable? When is the right time for it? Um, what kind of input are we looking for? So one model that I learned from a former client, for example, is trunk branch versus leaf input. Have you ever heard of this model, no. trunk branch leaf? It's really, it's kind of handy. So, and I'm not just saying it because I wrote a story about squirrels so trunk feedback is when you say things like, let's say when, in your brother's case, um, the trunk would be something like, I think our entire business strategy is off, right? It's like the trunk is the whole substance or, or the vision of it or whatever it is. Um, the, the leaves are things like, I think you could make a small tweak here, or there's a typo on the website and the branches are something in between, right? It's like, oh, let's, let's consider changing this product line or let's consider changing this one strategy or whatever it is. Oftentimes when companies ask for input or leaders ask for input, we're not clear enough about the kind of input that we're looking for. So for example, saying, you know, we're, we're trying to come up with our objectives for next year. Um, right now, we're just looking for, you know, trunk level feedback. What are your overall thoughts and ideas and suggestions? On the other hand, it might be something like we're about to send this report to clients. We're looking for leaf level feedback. We can't make serious changes, but what tweaks do you think might be really relevant here? So just that vocabulary could be helpful, along with here's the context and history of how we've done things. And one more thing is just making really clear that we always welcome feedback. We're always going to figure out how to integrate it if we can, but not always. Like we won't always come up with a solution. So please keep your ideas coming, but. you know, it's on us to try to integrate it. We won't always be able to do so just so that it doesn't feel like this broken promise.
0: This trunk leaf idea is, uh That's really interesting to me. My entrepreneur friends and I have used the same sort of thinking when we go to our parents, our spouses, our friends and say, here's a new business idea. We uh-huh. always are very interested to see what level the objections are. If the mm. objections are small trivial leaf type things, you know you're in good shape. If the objections yeah, are trunk based, like you're forgetting that 92% of the population doesn't buy your product already, <laughs> right. you know uh that's very different and if your spouse gives you leaf criticisms, you know that you are in good shape because it's Oh, I love that. trivial criticisms, not deep criticisms of the whole thing screwed up.
1: What a cool way to use that model. I love that. I love that.
0: Yeah. So like this business that I was talking about that was in bankruptcy, when we started it, we were both 23. And so almost all of our feedback was, you know, sending a business plan to our parents and seeing what they had to say. Um, yeah, so we yeah, I think early. that's a
1: wonderful way to. Mm-hmm. It's so good. I mean, you're bringing up yet another way that you could lead together. It's not just what does my team think. What are what's their input? What are their reactions? But we often forget, like exactly what you're describing the the broader, you know, user base of either people we know or clients or even prospective clients just kind of showing your work and saying what are you seeing that i might not be seeing um there's an organization i work closely with called buzz to the rescues that is a great uh, software for animal rescues and um shelters and the way that Lori, the founder of it built her software was by bringing it essentially to her father who i think was in his 80s at the time and saying you know what questions do you have? And her goal, because he wasn't super technologically savvy, her goal was for him to go, well, I'm good. I can use it. This is this is easy for me. And that was such a powerful way to build software that ultimately is accessible for everybody.
0: Yeah, that's a good story. I like that. I like that mm-hmm. a lot. Just because you're an animal rights activist, I'll give you the chance to vote on this. And I'll go ahead and tell you what the correct answers are. The correct answer is yes, I don't
1: Jim. think that's how voting
0: works. No, 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 it is. This is how it works here. So uh, uh, I am not an animal person. I, I had a very, very, very bad dog incident as a child. Oh. The most horrible story that anyone has ever imagined. And always oh people God. are like, well, now now that you've introduced the story that way, you have to tell it. And I'm like, I promise you don't want to hear it. And people badger me into telling it, and I finally tell the story. And then they're like, why did you tell me that? You made me <laughs> tell you. So I'm not going to tell you the story, but I just want to okay, tell you Okay, and outcome. I'm not
1: going to badger you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I okay. promise
0: you don't want to hear it. It's, it's just okay. horrible,
1: horrible okay. story. Okay, I'm good with that. I'm good with not hearing a story.
0: But <laughs> when I this well. got married, <laughs> she came with a dog, a Doberman. Hmm. And, uh, that it wasn't, you know, a debate. It was part of the package, right? And I knew that (laughs) before I asked her to marry me and stuff, but, uh, my last name is beach. And so we work very hard to name all of our animals names that that go well with that, you know, Matt,
1: all of your animals. Okay. So there are going to be multiple animals in this story.
0: Yeah. Well, now we have multiple. Yes. So,
1: okay. Okay.
0: Anyway, the first dog that we got together jointly was Sonny. Sunny. Beach. Huh. And now we have uh. Wavy and Ripple. Uh. Or like uh um, Ripley, we call her for Ripples in the Water. The, uh, I got a Ripley. little one. Uh, the big wave and then the small ripple. And then we have uh, uh Coconut uh is a cat and oh um what's the other one? Tiki tiki hut. We have Coconut Hut and Tiki Hut. Um, <laughs> cats. And anyway, I love it. the PETA, the vice president of PETA said that we officially have the best pet names in the world. So it's PETA certified. Our pets' names are the best names of any pets in the world. Now I'm going to give you the chance to agree and say, yes, those are the best (laughs) names ever. So here's where you get to vote.
1: Jim, I can't even join this kind of democratic process because my husband names all of our animals. We have 32 they almost all are named after pro wrestlers. Oh, shuck. I, I, I would just, I, I, I can't join this. Com- I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm going to be letting him down. I'm going to be letting down Mula and May and, you know, and, and, and Dusty. and.
0: I have a divorce the- attorney's number <laughs> if you need one. This is grounds, Connie, <laughs> I'm sorry. This oh. is grounds. I apologize, I apologize, but But Your last name uh, is also cool Uh, Luna, I mean there's so many possibilities With that
1: Yeah, it's true, it's true, but I don't know What happened somewhere along the line Yeah, but we've got, you know, we have two Amazing pigs named Bubba Ray and Devon They're named after the Dudley Boys, but we've renamed Them the Mudley Boys Uh, We've got Terry and Dory Funk The Roosters, I mean there's a lot of I'm not a huge wrestling fan, but it works. We, we we make it work. And hey, if you like animals, lead together. It's got that perfect balance of leadership and animal story, animal adventures.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, I do like the story aspect of it, and mm. the cover's really cute too. It's got two squirrels working together to carry an acorn. Yeah. I thought uh, was uh, a smart cover design.
1: Thank you, I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm curious about your reaction to it. You know, because my publisher was originally, I set out to write a a more conventional nonfiction book, and then somewhere along the way, I was just reading research about how we learn best through stories. I was getting kind of bored with with the. I mean, I love nonfiction books. Don't get me wrong, but I was sort of just like wanting something a little different. You know, the the book at the point that we're talking right now, it hasn't come out yet. It's coming out September 19th. Hopefully, as you're listening, it's already out and available. what, what's your what's your what's your feeling about uh kind of learning through story? Um let's see if if you uh can predict how other people are going to react to it.
0: Uh I have mixed ideas. So I agree with you that mm. stories are the best way to communicate and that people mm. remember stories Uh, My favorite example of that is May 18th, 1985. I graduated from high school, and the president Mm -hmm. of the University of Georgia gave the commencement address. I have no idea what his thesis was, but I can tell you almost word for word two of the stories that he told. Wow. And so 40 years later, I remember some of the stories. One of the stories was about how crazy it is that we're scared of sharks. And someone yells shark at the beach. And what do you do? You go sit in your car and smoke a cigarette to relax (laughs) and how stupid that is. I told that story. I have no idea what his thesis was, but I remember his stories, you know? And so I I agree at that level. On the other hand, it's so, I kind of feel like it's been done before. Um, Mm, the first one that I remember was, uh, Oh gosh, what is his name? Uh, the Do Gooder series. Um,
1: no, I don't even know
0: that. John one. David Mann was one of the authors, and his co-author is his picture is on my website. Bob Berg, mm. Bob Berg wrote. Uh, I think it's called The Do Gooders. It sold a million mm. copies, and it was a fable. It was sort of one of the first fable books. And so oh, wow. I'm well, um, thank
1: you for telling me this. I'm gonna I'm, now I'm gonna go read the do gooders. Thank you.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, uh, his, but you're saying it his you know, his series is good that they've done four or five now in that series. And I feel like it's lost some of its uh, go giver, it's the go giver. Mm-hmm.
1: The Go-Giver, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I agree. I think it could be... um, I haven't read The Go-Giver, but I think that, you know, like most things, it could be done well or poorly. Um, I tried to go in the direction of uh, less fable and more uh, kind of actual story, actual adventure uh, gets... Uh, I guess, (laughs) hopefully will resonate with folks who have a sense of humor about, you know, uh, squirrels and business. But yeah, I hear you. I'm really excited to hear how people will see it because I think it could be, it could really work for folks or it could feel uh, like it's not how they like to learn. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, you know, it's just there's so many variables and things about how well a book will sell. Uh, I think that I would rather read a fable at this point than just traditional nonfiction. I'm kind of mm. tired, I guess, of nonfiction. Mm. Maybe it's because I see so much of it, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm sure that I, I I'm just, uh, I don't know. I like the the creativity of it and. Um if there's a story, I'm more likely to finish it. Because once I figure out your thesis, I'm gonna put your book down. Mm. Okay. Because yep. I'm too busy get to read the- three hundred pages when I know the thesis. You know what I mean? Aren't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back to where yeah, we started. I, so. I mean, we're just too busy to read three hundred pages if it's not going to add value.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Well, first of all, I'd say lead together is much shorter than that. It's probably half of that. Um, I agree with you. I think there's something about just give me the good stuff, right? This is, which is why shows like yours are great, right? It's just let's let's get to the key points. Um, I do think there's something about our relationship to power and leadership, though, that requires a little bit of a journey. So even if you get the great, the you know the, the key point of yeah, 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 I get it. Try to share power um, you know, try to develop others, um, mm-hmm. share context, things like that. Sometimes the, the devil's in the details, uh, or the squirrel's in the details, because it's about how, how do we do that? Well, right. Like to, to your point, you know, you want it to be super transparent. You wanted to share everything and then people freak out or again, a, a, a challenge I often hear from people is I want to make decisions collaboratively, but then we all sit around just talking and talking and never getting anywhere how do we actually do that well in practice? So I'm hoping Start that by not it's- sitting down. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Do you mean like a, like a walk and talk or like a, no, standing, a standing, standing, standing meeting?
0: You stand for the whole yeah. meeting and that gets it done a lot faster. You
1: know? Yeah. There's actually research that shows that standing meetings are about 30% shorter than sitting meetings and have the same
0: quality or better quality results. So yeah, that's a good point. I would definitely think so. Yeah. Yeah. We have run out of time, I'm afraid, Uh, greatly enjoying the conversation, but we need to pay attention to that clock thing. How do we find out (laughs) more follow online, get a copy of the book?
1: Yeah, so uh, Amazon, bookshop.org, wherever you like to get your books, it's Lead Together, Stop Squirreling Away Power and Build a Better Team. Uh, Great for employee development, engagement, preventing burnout growing organizational resilience. If you'd like more tools, resources, or checking out my other books, my website is tanyaluna.com. T-A-N-I-A, luna.com.
0: Fantastic. Is that a married name or your maiden?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. It's married. I, you know, my, my mother and my grandmother, they never changed their last names when they got married. And I, you know, when I was younger, I was like, I'm never changing my last name. And then I met, Brian Luna, love of my life, uh, along with the pigs, goats, dogs, cats, uh, roosters, etc. cetera. And uh, I was like, oh, that's a really good name. I'll take that. <laughs> <So>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what was your maiden name? Dudina. Oh, definitely. wasn't too bad, right?
1: Definitely. It is an improvement. But, yeah. but with Dudina, I was able to say it's like dude in female form, dudes in uh-huh. Dudina. So it had, it had some merits. I had my yep. signature all figured out and everything, but I'll take Luna any day.
0: I would too. Tanya, thank you so much for being with us. Congratulations. And I hope it sells well.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I hope you experiment with giving up a little bit of that control and giving more context.
0: Yeah. Good luck on that. And we will be (laughs) right back. (laughs) We are back in again. Thank you so very much for being with us today. Got another great guest. Excited to introduce you to Janine Kaposi. She is a learning and development specialist, a professional coach, owner of a business called Knowledge Force Consulting. For the last 15 years or so, she has been an expert in crafting amazing training solutions for her clients. She also is a big fan of gamification, I think, and she's worked with some Fortune 500 companies to rethink and revolutionize their approach to learning Janine welcome how you doing
2: I'm doing great it's so nice to be with you today
0: likewise likewise what's broken about training
2: everybody's attitude that it doesn't fix things
0: well it they doesn't just- it all sucks I've never I mean even good <laughs> ones suck
2: well you know sometimes that could be true the whole idea is that we got to think about it a little bit differently And I think that most people look at training and development and want to radically change something and one day in a few hour seminar, totally changed my world. And I say, I think we need to really think about the power of 1% changes, 1% differences, things, little bits at a time are really what uh, move people into a new trajectory. And if we viewed training a little bit differently, we'd view the outcomes of training a bit differently as well.
0: I couldn't uh, agree more. Are you Japanese, Janine Kaposi? That's <laughs> I, not a Japanese name that I'm aware of. It is
2: not. It is a solid Italian name, although my brother's wife is Japanese, so my nephews are half Japanese. So maybe they're rubbing off on me a little bit.
0: I'm referring to the famous Japanese concept of Kaizen, of continual yes. improvement. When you say 1% better, I immediately go to Kaizen. Uh, and.
2: I agree with you. I think that there's a little bit of that that's involved, the 1% better of Kaizen. But it's also this idea of where in life does one thing make a significant, significant difference? Who's the one person that gave you amazing advice and or was an incredible mentor and set your thinking in a new, new direction? Or when was there one chance meeting that encountered, you encountered and did something and met somebody, and then your life went in a different direction? And so I'm just a really big believer in the power of one, whether that's a one-percent Kaizen, a one-time conversation. It's hard to uh, undo the power of one.
0: But when you say, I mean, you do believe in the conversation, the one meeting that can change your life, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've, mm-hmm. I've had This that. could
2: be my one meeting, you know.
0: Yes. Yes. Uh, I've had too many of those in my own life. You you know, I've had those happen to me. So, but all right, so we're really going down two tracks. Now we're, we're saying that we got lost on the first track, the first track or the second track is continual 1%. The first conversation we were having is that we have lost faith in training, right? Yeah,
2: and I agree. We could go down either track you want, but I believe that they're interconnected. All right. So, why
0: have we lost faith in training? And is that fixable? I've lost faith in politics and so many things. Uh, I feel like a lot of us have. We're all at a funk and we don't really trust anything anymore. Um, Is this just part of that? Our general American cynic ness?
2: I think that it has to do with. Expectations. I think that we have a, we have shifted our mindset on expectations of what's possible with humans and we expect more out of them than is possible in large chunks of change. So that's where I go back to that tiny one bit of difference. It's that continuous 1% difference or that continual step towards one thing that we would like to see different that really can create the arc. And I think that a lot of times when we are working with people when we go through training programs, when I am the leader of a talent, you know, of talent at my organization, that I want to give them the one thing and get back a hundred instead of understanding that if I give them the one, I can get back a one.
0: All right. So keep going. Yeah. You want to Yeah. All right. So what is whole brain thinking and how does this play in?
2: Yeah, great question. So whole brain thinking is a methodology that was developed really in the 19 late 1950s early 60s and it's this understanding that the way the brain processes information is looking at it from different tracks of of learning and it influences everything that we do. And so the way that brain operates and processes information influences what we pick up in these training programs. And what often happens in a training program is that a person will go through and um, create it or develop it or deliver it the way they like to learn versus recognizing that there are so many different ways that people process information. And that when I do uh, a program or create a program and allow it to be broader, to cover a more broader scope in order to think about different ways of learning, that that's when I attach in and make it more powerful for many instead of just a handful of people who learn the same way that I do and the way that I present it. And so there's a piece of that that really influences uh, the success of training programs.
0: All right. How do we pay attention to the different ways that people learn? Uh, How many different ways are there? I'm thinking note takers versus visualization people versus hearers. People just need to hear it.
2: Yeah. Uh, So whole brain thinking. Yep, exactly. So you're picking up on different clues that people give us. Whole brain thinking really identifies that our brain processes information in four large categories and one of those is around facts and data. So people who are really looking at the what, what's going on, what's working. And clues that they, people who give off, who really process or have a primary preference for processing the what are often asking for things like more input related to data. They're looking for um, more infra- information around how things are running and, and the details behind that. Uh, the Another way that people look is really needing to understand the big picture why. So they're co- uh, context thinkers, and they are often looking to understand how big things fit together. I'm a big why person, which is why I sent us off track for a second there at the beginning of our conversation, because I am constantly looking for the interconnectedness between things, I, how one thing applies to many. There's also uh, what we say is people thinkers, the uh, people who uh, they process people aspects of the information first. So they're looking for things related to who's going to be impacted. How's this going to change? what, Who's involved in it? Where can we collaborate? And then finally, there's the process thinkers. Those who are really good at looking and breaking things apart for their processes and their bits and parts, looking at the how of any situation. And so when they start in that area, I want to be able to teach and facilitate and develop training programs that tap into all of those different things. So your you know, English teacher back when you were younger who said, we really want to know the who, what, when, where, and why of a story uh, had some truth to actually how the brain is processing information. And so when I'm developing training programs, I want to be thinking about how I can lead that person by latching onto bits and pieces and context that connects to the way they learn as their primary method, and then also support it with other methodologies as well.
0: All right. Let's switch the topic just a little bit, Janine. How do I, as a business owner, use this information to make more money? Oh, I mean to (laughs) educate and facilitate my staff and coworkers better.
2: Yeah, I love it. Make more money is exactly say. what you, you mean. You misheard. I misheard. I, mis I misheard. Of course, of course. The best way to make more money is to stop wasting money. And so stop wasting uh, money on one training event and think that it's going to do anything. It's not. Stop st- sending people to a one-time
0: training. That's what I would tell them to do first. Well We were talking about the power of one at the beginning.
2: I know, isn't that ironic? So one training doesn't change things, but one idea of getting started and sustaining it does. And so, it's so understanding. If sign up For
0: one training, what do I do then?
2: So, what I want you to, do, what I would want you to do is start to have one understanding around where that training can then be used afterwards. So it's just that idea of not kind of having one event-based training, but to be looking at training as a whole and saying, how can this be the catalyst for the 1% change instead of just one thing that I am doing and expecting that, you know, hundred times change afterwards. Right. Right.
0: Okay. Does it make sense? Yes, it does. Yes, it does.
2: Yeah. And I, what I mean by that is oftentimes people just think that training, one time training, is a magic bullet. And it's not that. So if you're going to do the magic bullet kind of idea, they can make, they can save money by not doing it. But where they can actually make money is by investing in people and doing that in incremental bits at a time. And they can, by investing in people, there's so many metrics that begin to move. And so one of the things I also talk about with my clients is what I call a return on talent investment. And we would sit down and look at where would they get the best returns on their talent investment? Is it an aspect of, you know, uh, culture? Is it related to strategic gaps that they're trying to close that they need to get to that training can help address? Um, is it something related to, you know, reducing the amount of time that someone's in a training program by making that training program more effective? So we go through and we look at where is their best return on talent investment.
0: So can we talk about Francois?
2: My Francois? Employee who
0: needs, who we all agree, can't sell, right? Yes. So I want to sit down with him and say, we believe that we can turn you into a great salesperson, and we believe that a long term dedicated course of developing your salesman skills is possible, and we are willing to commit to you not going to one because we don't believe one uh event can change your life or your abilities, but we would be willing to pay for you to go to a four sales conferences in the next year. Mm-hmm. You, you pick them and put together a proposal because we believe that not one can change, but if you work on this for the whole year from different viewpoints that we can win this together, Francois, how am I doing Janine?
2: I think you're starting to get, you're getting the idea that's sounding right. I think what we would want to close the gap on with Francois is making sure that we're having conversations that his skills that he is going after, match the skills that you recognize he needs to improve upon, and the skills that are going to be those that close the gap today and begin to close the gap for the future. So it's a coaching conversation with Francois. We would want to look at something that says, where are the gaps that he has? And the fact that he's not exactly closing sales. And maybe he's not even out there doing what he needs to understand the depth of your product and, and what you're trying to offer. And so we have a conversation with him. That begins to be one thing that we begin to do and understand where does he see himself and where do you see him? Where do I see him as a manager? What am I doing to support him? What is missing from, from our interactions? Try to figure out If there's anything we can close there, and if not, then I send him looking for those conferences as an opportunity as well. I would also give him some homework, and I would tell him that it's not only that you're going to those conferences to be working and looking for yourself. I'm asking you to come back with one piece of information from every conference and develop a 30 minute lunch conversation that you're ah, going to share with our ah, share with staff. our employees and yeah. share with the whole staff. So now right. he has to take that, use it, learn it and teach it forward. Love it. So again, I'm moving the trajectory of not just him, but what he's seeing and helping shift de- direction conversation with other employees within our organization as well.
0: Love it. Love it. That makes
2: a lot mm-hmm. of sense. Mhm. And after that, it's part of my job as his boss to continue to do what I call sustainable coaching conversations. I can't just send him off there, expect him to be different. I have to acknowledge him when he is different. I have to celebrate him for the shifts that he's, he is bringing into the organization, where I am observing that what he's learned and trying to do is working and helping him. I have to think about the processes around him. Are they supporting him? Are they actually pulling him back into old habits? Because we're not, you know, as an organization supporting the change that he went out and realized is a great way to be selling today. So it's a complex system, but it begins with some first steps.
0: Janine, I heard you were willing and able to play our game, the quick 10. I am. Uh, I have to, by law, ask, are you currently sober?
2: I absolutely am sober. Although we, the Bills just did win yesterday. I'm from Buffalo, New York. So there was a little celebrating yesterday.
0: Yesterday, yes. Well, you know, your Governor Hochul has really strange laws on uh, playing game shows while drunk. They encourage you, as we do too. So if you would like to pause and drink some more, you're more than welcome.
2: <laughs> I think I'm good. I know my okay. limits. I'm better sober.
0: All right. Would you like to accept the standard wager? Sure. All right. There's the attitude. Number one, your favorite creativity hack.
2: A round of the Pomodoro technique, using it to get into the flow.
0: Explain Pomodoro for people who don't know. It's the timing thing.
2: Yes. It's a time tool where you, you focus for 20 minutes, off for five, focus for 20, off for five. You do a couple rounds and you get through uh, entering flow and concentration. And my trick is that I always do it with some classical music. When the classical music, Ends, that's when my Pomodoro ends.
0: Number two, favorite bootstrapping trick? Uh, Canva for graphics. It's
2: got incredible graphics templates. It's a lifesaver and easy to use. Can access it anywhere. I even did that from a Viking cruise ship in the middle of the ocean.
0: Number three, name your top passions. Traveling, podcasts, coffee.
2: Mm, I only get three.
0: You can do whatever you want.
2: Okay. I was going to say traveling podcast, coffee and mentoring emerging new leaders.
0: Number 4, the first 3 steps in starting a business are
2: getting your finances in order, finding a mentor or a professional coach to support you, and then checking your ego at the door.
0: Number 5, the best way to get your first real customer is asking your network for referrals. Number th- Six, your dreamiest technology is?
2: Uh, AI.
0: Number seven, best entrepreneurial advice?
2: Don't listen to yourself on autopilot. Talk to yourself on purpose.
0: Number eight, worst entrepreneurial mistake? Uh, Throwing very good money after bad money,
2: a.k.a. investing in marketing funnels.
0: (laughs) Number nine, favorite entrepreneur and why? Um, I've got two, but today I'm going to
2: call it Brene Brown because I think that she is incredibly authentic and her passion led to this massive business that has changed lives.
0: Number 10, favorite superhero, Spider-Man. Excellent answers. Jenny, while we calculate your score and find out the winner of our wager, tell us how to get in touch with you, how to find out more, all that, please.
2: Uh, the easiest way to find me is at com, and that is where I offer up to my podcast listeners some free downloadables so they have access to some of the things that we talked about today, and they can learn a little bit more about me and schedule a fee- free com- conversation and uh, go from there. So janinecaposi.com is the best way. And let's and- spell
0: Janine for them. Your Italian yep. spelling is different, no? Thank
2: you so much. Yes, my Italian spelling is different. It's G I N I N E C A P O Z Z I dot com,
0: and, of and course, you can always find me at notes. LinkedIn as well. Of course. Yes. Yes. Oh no. Oh, I'm so. Oh, I'm. Oh, I feel so bad for you. I just got your score, Janine. You you got an excellent score. You got a ninety four. A ninety four. Mm-hmm. Uh, the judge from Brooklyn do i don't know what that is about i, I don't know <sighs> what that means but unfortunately that's a losing score you have to have a 95 to win the win. <laughs> uh, i'm sorry and so you owe us a tesla
2: a tesla sounds good elon and i are really good friends so i will make sure that he delivers a personal
0: one for you excellent thank you thank you thank you what about uh, our kids How can we fix our kids real fast And what they're learning And how they're being taught
2: Oh that's a great question How can we fix our kids I think that the one thing we need to do Is celebrate their strengths And stop beating them up for their weaknesses And as we help them do that um, It encourages their creativity And their positive interactions with people I think that's one piece Complicated story Yeah
0: All right, we're out of time, but you know what? We're back tomorrow. Be safe, everyone. Go take care and make a million dollars. Bye now. (laughs)